Hi there, everyone, and welcome to episode three of our podcast. Uh, this is another one that I actually recorded in the UK. We've just kept it on hold for a little while because it's a really good one for the start of term. Um, there's a lot of leadership advice and guidance in there. A lot of a lot about integrity and 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 what it's like to communicate effectively and all things that I think if you're starting the school year well, uh, you really need to be on top of. So I had the privilege of speaking to squadron leader Phil Clare. Uh, Phil Clare is in the RAF. He joined in 1986, uh, becoming an officer after he finished his degree. He wanted to go into flying. That didn't work out. Um, he had to bounce back from that. He ended up um, in a really high position. Between the time he was in the Gulf War uh, in 91, he was in the Kurdish relief operation in northern Iraq after the Gulf War, the UN peacekeeping force in Croatia in 95, Kosovo in 2001. He then worked his way up to squadron leader, uh, squadron leader in Iraq 2005, Afghanistan 2010, and is now on the directing staff um, at the Joint Services Staff College in Shrivenham. So he's someone who has a lot of leadership experience. Um, he is someone who is very calm, very measured, very focused. And the advice that he gives, I really, really enjoyed listening to it. Um, the way he talks about leadership, the way he talks about integrity and treating people well, and also having a job to do in the most trying of circumstances under extreme pressure. Um, was startling, was absolutely brilliant. So I, I really enjoyed listening to him. Um, just a little caveat, <laughs> it was recorded um, in a living room, so the sound quality is not the best. Uh, turn it up a little bit and, and um, yeah, apologies for that. that. There's a couple of little sound issues, but I don't think that will detract from what is an excellent podcast with a man who, very humble, very unassuming, but is doing a fantastic job um, and is really, really insightful and quite inspiring, actually. So enjoy this one as usual. You know, share it with your friends, um, share it with your parents. Um, you know where it's at on Instagram, on Twitter and things like that. But enough talking from me. Enjoy this one. This is our episode number three of our Via Tutte podcast with RAF squadron leader Phil Clare. Right, good afternoon everyone and it's great to be back here on the podcast. Uh, we've got someone really special lined up to hear from today um, and someone we've wanted to speak to for a while and hopefully he's going to give a really big insight into leadership, uh, decision making under pressure and what it's like to work uh, in the RAF. Um, so Phil, um, thank you for giving up your time. It's really, uh, really special for us to sit down and chat. It's something we've wanted to do for a while but ultimately thank you for, thank you for being okay, here. Thanks very much. Pleasure. Right, great. Um, so we'll we'll just dive straight into it, Phil. I think um, we'll we we'll leave off the. You don't really have a really strong Westlake connection, other than and knowing myself a little bit. So, I think where we'd like to start with this is just a little bit about you and the RAF. Is it something you've always wanted to do? Is it something that you fell into? Is it something you worked towards throughout your sort of school days? But how did it all come about that you joined such uh, an illustrious yeah, so uh, organisation? say a childhood dream in a respect so grew up in a part of uh, the country that was very close to an RAF bombing range uh, not too close obviously but um, and just to have the jets fly pretty much overhead every day meant you know the RAF was something to just appeal it was there for yep. me um, at the age of 16 I went for 
aptitude testing, uh, managed to pass those, and so then it was for me it was, it was to be a pilot in the RAF. Right, okay. In effect, which is yep. something I carried on and worked towards whilst it, uh, doing my degree at university and yep. flew for the RAF sort of reserve squadron whilst at university. Yep, yep. And then obviously finished the degree and then it was time to sort of go go out yep. the RAF full time. How did that play out? So. Uh, well, initially it went uh, well enough, so graduated uh, as a sort of flying officer uh, and then eventually got to basic flying training okay. and that's where the sort of uh, the first um, rubber didn't hit the road, so to speak, uh, and I lasted about 32 hours uh, before eventually what we call getting chopped, Right. so eventually removed from pilot training. Right, okay. So if I can equate this to, to, to boys at our school, sort of something you've worked really hard towards, something you've really wanted to do gets... The rug gets pulled out from under you pretty quickly, um, and I would imagine quite an emotionally troubling oh, time. Yeah, very tough. It was something I didn't see coming until it all of a sudden unraveled quite rapidly. So we go through a series of what they call chop rides. Three of those chop rides, and you're basically told uh, that's the end for you. Yeah. Um, so, and then we have a process where you're basically sent through two two weeks of reselection, where your commission suspended, and they basically query your performance pretty much since you joined the RAF. Yeah. So yeah. your commission suspended and you've got to fight for basically a place in the Royal Air Force. Yep. Yeah. And I would imagine at that point, you know, a bit of significant adversity. Could you have left at that point and pursued something else? Or, yeah, you know, how did you stay? What? How did you overcome such a sort of well, what, what, stressful what, situation? What I basically what found is that I pretty much enjoyed <laughs> life in the Royal Air Force. I like the culture. I like the sense of belonging. I like the sense of purpose. Uh, and... Even though clearly flying as a pilot was taken away from me, I pretty much wanted to stay in, and you know if I could then work in other branches. Right. Okay. But yes, I could. I could. I could have walked up and left. But yeah. that just yeah. it, that, it, that that initial failure was. It took a long while to get over, but there was a sense of there's something else here I can do. Right. Okay. Yeah. And and obviously you've had to show a bit of resilience, a bit of grit at a young, a relatively young age, and a yeah, start and, in your career. Relatively, yeah, absolutely, relatively start of my career. Yeah. Yeah. Great. And I think there's a lot of messages that. You know, a lot of boys at our school can take from that that it's not all smooth sailing, smooth flying in your case, but smooth sailing. Sorry, the pun. Um, but there is going to be knockbacks, and there is going to be. Absolutely. But yeah. It, I suppose it hasn't prevented you from having a, a great career. And no, I mean, it does. I say it's. It, I, I felt as an organisation where I could do could could do something worthwhile, and yeah. it's not a very nice feeling. You're right; it's not a very pleasant place to be, uh, and you can walk away from it. That, that, that's yeah. an option, but I, I just think you need to. Like I say, show a bit of grit and determination, yeah. and, and stick with it. Yeah, fantastic. And it's it's a career that's taken you around the world, I suppose, being deployed in some fairly significant, uh, stressful war zone fairly combat, hot and, hot and dusty. Yeah, we get these yeah. free holidays every now and then. <laughs> yeah, to yeah. Um, where it's nice and sandy and the and the temperature's quite hot. So, yeah, um, yeah, it's everywhere from uh, F uh, Iraq, Saudi Arabia, all the nice places, Afghanistan. Yep. The Balkans in the mid nineties when right, those okay. basically been ripped apart. Yeah, we're actually uh, bumped into a New Zealand infantry battalion who are out there peacekeeping. Good. good. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, yeah, and and I mean if we can just touch on that, uh, those those deployments, um, going into war zones, combat situations, how how do you cope with that mentally? Is it is it a tough thing to do? Is it something you feel primed, you've been trained for? But yeah, there's there's, there's absolutely definitely a sense of um, is it easy? No, it's not. But are you trained and equipped to do the job? Yes, you are. And are the people that work with you? So likewise, yes, they are. Yeah. So, uh, And I'd also say that, bizarrely enough, 
whilst it can be difficult, is also sometimes relatively simple because you're on operations, the focus is quite obvious, the task you have to do is very clear, and there is no what I call nif-naf admin and trivia getting right, away. Okay, yep, good, good. And um, just, just on that, you know, that's obviously... Yes, it's stressful. You've got the backing of people. High levels of trust, I would imagine, between staff members and teams. And yeah, yeah. I mean, there has to be, you know, when you're sort of looking at looking at your sort of the personnel under your command, looking them in the eye, thinking, you know, you have to let you know, you know they can do that. But if you, it's no good just setting them off. Yeah. So they can freewheel. You have to basically tell them that they're good enough to do it, remind them they're good enough to do it. Yeah. And they will. They they will pay you back. Yeah. They'll pay you back. Yeah. And I suppose it just we've probably jumped forward a little bit to you in a leadership position, but I, I assume there would have been a time when you were more of a follower than a leader as such. And how, how did you find sort of starting off at the bottom rung of what is a quite a large yeah, ladder? I mean, um, it, it, it's intimidating. So I mean, you can probably talk about you know, I'd probably argue maybe later, later on we talk about. It. I, I don't think that's ever changed. Right. Never stopped. But um, yeah. So when you sort of you look at the forty airmen and airwomen that you are now responsible for having been in the you know effectively the Royal Air Force for two years there's a realization that you don't know everything there yeah. is yeah. um even you think you did you, you may hold a qualification you may hold you know certification but ultimately and especially pretty much all the guys and girls that work for me probably have more time in the RAF than I did right okay uh, and especially the warrant officers yeah and the flight sides the senior yeah. non-commissioned officers they are your rocks well right okay yeah so how did you feel you were viewed by those people who've had X amount of years more than you? How did you lead them, manage them? Is there a framework that you follow? Is there a system? Or uh, Well, they're, they're, part of your job is effectively to be what we call um, upwards and outwards facing. Right. So again, that trust in the fact that the troops know their job, they know what their role is, and they can get on with the, the daily stuff. You then effectively either fight for them, fight yep. for their, you know, let them get on with their work and you take the hits uh, from the outside world right, to make okay. sure that you know, your shift or your yeah. flight uh, yeah. can get on with their job. Yeah. And if the outside world starts to interfere and the Good Ideas Club come up with some more good ideas, then you have to basically tell 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 your people why things are changing. Right, and okay. again, you've got to be that open, honest individual yeah. with them. Yeah. And, and leadership, obviously, would have been a big hallmark of your officer training and, mm-hmm. and things you want to do. How, in your opinion, does a good leader operate? What do they do? They are. They set an example, um, but they're also honest and upfront uh, and professional in what they do. So, um, I would have to say character comes into it. Yep. But you can potentially lead per, per lead your troops without necessarily being the most charismatic person okay. in the world. Yep. I've, I've worked for people who aren't. Yep. Does that mean they do a great job? Yep. They absolutely can. Yeah. Absolutely yep. can. And some of the, if we could just talk about some influences you've had, what have you taken from the people you've worked with? You know, I like that style, I don't like that style. What are some examples you could share where you think you've really um, got the best out of someone by doing a specific thing or not? You know, Well, probably, um, certainly, what, you know, I think I've worked for what I call an extremely autocratic leader. Okay. Um, very much by the book. So, for example, um, in those days, X percent of our um, and air women would be given a certain grade, a highest grade uh, for promotion. He would insist that equated to 1.25 people on the entire squadron. Okay. Even though we <laughs> believe precise. that actually they were, A, you don't get that many yeah. 0.25s yeah. of individuals. And 
and I just thought this is just not the way I, I can do things. It okay. was very much by the book, by rote. Was it effective? Yes, to a degree okay. it was. But uh, I even got a phone call. The only phone call I got from him when I was in the Saudi desert in 91 was he wanted to know why I hadn't uh, basically cleared some inbound stores and taken me two and a half weeks to do so. And I had to tell them that actually we were um, about to engage in a ground war against the Iraqi army and I was a bit too busy. Yeah, busy indeed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think, um, you know, when you when you talk about that, it's it seems to, to a lot of New Zealanders and, and uh, myself as well, you, you see a lot of that on TV, it's in the media, but you're in a war zone. So how do you, boots on the ground, how do you mentally cope with that? You know, the fact that decisions you're going to make potentially could affect people's lives and people's families. I mean, the whole the part of it, you know, the, the, this is where sort of team task individual comes in. And for us, the mission in 91 or any, any sort of area deployed on the mission has to be clear and clear in your own mind as to why you're there. And that has to be, you have to transmit that down to yep. the people involved. Yep. So why you've been asked to take this risk, why you're being asked to carry out this particular yep. duty, or why why you're undergoing the hardship yep. that you are. Yep. Um, and that you've just got to, tr- you know, explain that to them in the best way that you can. They, they, and they will understand. Uh, but there's also that, there's a you in that as well. Um, you know, as I said, for us, um, leadership, or I do, you know, leadership is a contact sport. Yep. And you have to engage with the individual on yep. all sorts of levels. Yep. You cannot email someone as to why they're about to drive down a road that could have potential uh, explosive devices yep. hidden against yep. it. Yeah, and and what a line I think to take from that that leadership is a contact sport that you've got to speak, look people in the eye, talk Absolutely. to them properly, and you can't hide behind a desk or yep. stay in your office. I think that's a really important, a really important point. Um, just something else we'd like to come on to. Um, Phil, if we were talking about how you would go about executing a plan or a strategy, and this can be, you know, from your from the desk or out on the uh, on deployment as well, what are some of the steps you put in place? Is it goal setting? Is it, um, is it something that you collaborate on? How would you go from sort of A to B to get to yeah, Z I in mean, the end? There is part. I mean, you know, spoken initially about leadership, but. So we have this sort of triumvirate in the military, command, leadership, and management. And actually, yep. a lot of the sort of the planning, the processes, those goals and objectives, they yep. can actually set by being a good manager, yep. by, by planning ahead, by getting a team around you yep. that understand the problem. You bring people into the team. They actually work with you. And, yep. and you get a whole sort of cycle of leadership, followership yep. moving around. So yep. a, lot of, a lot of the stuff can be done by being a good, efficient manager. Yep. So. And and that's not always the most exciting stuff. It's not, it's no, not the it's not. sexy it's, stuff, but it's no. We talk about important. leadership in the RAF, yeah. and I do. I think actually, what we're really talking about is being a very effective manager who can deflect and plan ahead for an awful lot of the problems that revolve around people. Yep. Um, you know, the the change management that you might want to be told to lead. Yep. Uh, and the assumption is, of course, that there will be people who benefit from it, but also yep. people who won't as well. Right. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah. And I suppose there must come a point when. Well, there's probably always a point when the needs of the team are so much bigger than the individual, and that's something that's got to be factored into. Yes, to so, so I say, you know, on operations, it's quite clear that there's a task to be done, there's a mission to be done. Back at base, uh, where you know there are far more distractions, um, sometimes it is just big strategic stuff that happens to us as an organisation. Financial constraints. Yes. You know, we've gone through rounds of redundancies where you know yep. jobs have been lost. So yep. that again is a matter of. You've got to explain why this is happening and why yeah. 
you know your team are being affected in the yeah. way they are yeah and for something like that and i suppose it's relatively universal what what is an effective way to communicate something that is so tough to do i mean redundancies is tough being in a war zone is pretty tough i know it's a we've mentioned it's a contact sport but how do you actually do that but still get the best out of people so they're in an uncomfortable situation and you've got to make them as comfortable as possible what are, do you have any tips techniques yeah. anything you could share uh, look them in the eye yeah basically that, that right okay that has to be yeah. It, it, yeah. when it gets if you know that's everything from cancelling down their leave because there's too much work through to you know coming up with the, the news of I'm sorry but this year's report's not been so good for yeah. you because you cannot you you have to be that person you know you're paid you know or you're responsible for a certain amount of you know decision making yeah. and um, you you just have to be upfront honest with yeah. them yeah yeah well, I suppose that's universal advice that would yeah, uh, any teenager listening to this now who who's thinking about not just a military career but any successful career without that authenticity and yeah, genuine yeah. integrity I, I think nobody goes to work wanting to be hated yeah we all want to be liked but at some point you know there are layers yeah inside all organizations where you're put into places of responsibility and you have to deliver yeah yeah fantastic and just moving this forward a little bit i mean you'll see a lot of people coming into to your institution now the ref who are probably well qualified and mm -hmm. and you know green green to it and new to it and got a lot of ideas what is important to you when you look at a new recruit i don't know if recruits the right uh, term yeah, a new so officer or what would you look at they've probably all attained a certain level uh, of excellence yeah. of qualification but what is important to you as a, a person yes yeah, so if, if i sort of take into my current role you know at, at shrivenham yep we the first bunch of students to work with they've literally graduated two years from from leaving officer, right, okay. officer training um what am I looking at them for? I, I think is a sense that they they understand how their actions affect others. So well, what I mean by that is, you know, whether it's emotional intelligence or right, or, or, or whatever we yep, yep. whatever whatever phrase you want to use about it, um, the decisions that they take are they, is it all about them, or is it all about the people that they lead? Yep. And for certain branches, for us on the ground branches, it's, that's particularly important because, as I say, we we will lead 10, 20, 30, 40 airmen and air women pretty much immediately right okay almost in our first yeah, tour yeah and that probably brings us to talk a little bit about culture and you're, you're talking about people buying into the culture mm -hmm. um what would make a successful culture in your opinion or or organizational culture for a group of people i mean yeah we you know we'd like to think that the the air force culture is a sort of a you know a, a, a as a positive as a yep. positive thing we're buying into a set of uh, sort of uh, principles you know respect integrity etc yep. um it's uh, it, it's a, it's a sort of aspect that uh, but even inside that royal air force we have subcultures so i can talk to people who are air crew yep. different different completely different yep. our, our regiment guys who fight on the ground completely different i can even go inside different individual different squadrons and they'll have a different culture yep. but ultimately it's all underpinned by yes. the same sort of set of basics yep. and yep. that should be uh, you know a, a real positive that we you know when the going gets tough and it's not just the officers i work with but i know that you know the same thing will happen to the airmen and the airwomen as they go through their training there's a sense of belonging that will take you through the difficult times right you're okay. there for a purpose and the yeah. purpose isn't you it's the wider team yeah yeah and you know inevitably the the organization the industry you work in the the organization you work in 
the tough times are probably a little bit tougher than people who work in a shop, a bank, yeah. or whatever. How on earth do you navigate those tough times when you know, you know, it's somebody maybe going home to, or may not be coming home, yeah. or maybe going home injured, or, yeah. you know, how do you begin to sort of rationalise that? How do you cope with that? And how do you work under that pressure? So a, a technique whether I sort of develop it naturally or if I've used it is I just try and compartmentalise my life. So going on a deployment, you know, yes, there's family and friends outside there, but you effectively wrapped up in a bubble very rapidly. Yep. Um, so contact, you know, with wife and kids, you know, is limited. Uh, and also when things go wrong, you know, for example, we um, in Kosovo, uh, we lost a puma and, and two guys and uh, were, were killed, two aircrew were killed. Oh, my, wow. my, my job there was as as almost the second in command of the detachment was to keep the detachment functioning right and that is i found that extremely challenging because yeah. you know the friends that were there were deeply affected the technicians who service the aircraft were deeply affected the whole you know the whole uh, detachment was was really understandably really badly affected by the whole incident but at the same time life went on yeah so there's a sort of um I, I don't recommend wearing a mask and not being yourself. Yep. You, you can't do that 24-7, 365. But at that point, it's almost putting a mask on yep. to say, I'm doing this job because it has to be done at yep. this moment in time yep. like this. Yep. And then at some point, you can step away from that yep. and take some time to reflect. And a real, I would imagine, I, don't, I don't, certainly don't know, a real balancing act between managing the emotion and mm -hmm. maintaining the professionalism that's required, from, not just from yourself, but from the whole... Um, yeah, detachment. It, yeah, it's it's you know it, it's professionalism throughout. Really, um, another example would be um, one of my tours at Lyon. I was actually involved in the repatriation of the uh, the fallen soldiers that came back from Afghanistan. Right, okay, that was a tough time because it was part ceremony, but also it was clearly either the widow or the mother seeing that they usually invariably their son come yep. home for the first time, and that yep. was a case of. At one point, you knew. At one point, the, the, you know the, the widow would start to cry, but at the same time, you also knew it took nine minutes to take the casket off the back of the aeroplane because yep. it was a ceremony. Yeah, right. Okay. And it it was um, I don't know that that was quite a lot of um, quite difficult moments just yep. to you know to deal either deal with the individuals' friends or their or them or their relatives. Yeah. But at the same time, you couldn't collapse because there was a job because you yeah absolutely so is there a certain set of sort of is it values you fall back on at that time or characteristics or traits. How do you keep that sort of professionalism in the moment, in the face of such emotional, emotionally charged events? I, I think, How do you do that? I think part of it is life in the military uh, will expose you invariably to incidents, accidents, and death in service. So there's yeah. a degree of that in the background. You don't take it as the, as a given, but yeah. you you know it happens. So yeah. that, that's the first part. Yeah. Um, the second part is, and I think what that does, it allows you to have a degree of resilience, so that when those incidents happen, you it's. I'm saying it's not something you haven't planned for; it's something that you're aware of. Yeah. And and again, it's very much that sort of integrity and professionalism, that you just have to overcome. And if yeah. there are people around you who aren't, you know, who may be wavering. Yeah. In a in a in a leadership role, it's setting an example. Yeah. They're yeah. looking at you. And if your actions betray any form of, you know, 
uh, worry, nervousness, yep. any sort of real emotion that's yep. not there, you yep. know, relevant, uh, pertinent at the time, yep. then they will sense it. Yeah, yeah. And um, obviously that relies on you being a, a really strong role model in terms of the the way you carry yourself, the way you handle things. Um, but I'm guessing here, I'm, I am guessing that you're not an expert in all of the areas of where the people you're leading, you're Absolutely not an expert not. in all no. of their jobs. So how do you get the best out of those people and be that positive role model when you're not as experienced or skilled in the area of their specialization? Yeah, it's it, it certainly, um, you're absolutely right. It, it, um, being part of that team and leading a team, you've got to understand, um, you're quite correct, that certainly as an officer or, you know, uh, in, in leadership roles, it's probably more you're there for a quite a generalist approach because yep. you have to work with the entire entire team. Yeah. And it's a well, know, knowing your people is is paramount. Yeah. And and you know the first thing you've got to do on a newly arrived post, whatever is, is to know those people, know who your go to people are. Yeah. And but and effectively use them. Yeah. You know, use them if they if they're looking at you in a certain way and says, "Boss, I think this works really well. We've done this before." Yeah. That's an enormous clue. Yeah. To say, right, I think we'll give that yeah. another go because. Yeah. And yeah. by the way, I'd like you to take lead it. So yeah. you're effectively. There's no way you can have the level of understanding that someone who you know spent fifteen to twenty years doing deep, deep technical stuff and probably hold much higher qualifications yeah. as you do in that yeah. respect. But if you use them, use their tech, use their skills, and that particular niche area, and then probably actually if they're that good, you then encourage them to probably broaden and say, well, actually, you're very good at that particular role, but have you also thought about other these other aspects yeah. that you've? Yeah. I think you've got the yeah. skills to yeah. use. So very much a role of growing, growing people and continual yeah. learning and, yeah. and I mean, moving the, forward. The Air Force is a, is is a you know a technical um, organisation, either you know through the aircraft that we fly or the weapons that we release, etc. So um, we have an awful lot of technical specialists in yeah. there. So absolutely, young airmen and airwomen are, you know holding engineering degrees now, yeah. Um, yeah. which is just phenomenal. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, that they can get quite narrow, quite stovepipe. Right. Okay. It's, it's drawing on as we call you know subject subject matter experts. So the SME in the room. Yeah. And this is where you get actually. Hang on. Whilst I was the leader, yep. when this meeting started, yep. actually, I'll tell you what, I'll just be a follower for a while because that person there knows exactly what they're talking yep. about, and I'll shut up. Yeah, it's a great, yeah, it's a great way to put it. Um, and and within that, within those, you know, your SMEs, um, how you've spoke about saying finding out very quickly who your go-to people are. Is it as simple as just having a conversation with them, or is there certain tests, you know? tests you can put people under a bit of pressure a bit of adversity or is it as simple as you and i can have five minutes a cup of tea and we'll we'll work it out or is this is the techniques is there, well, there is a, you know i mentioned earlier you know you, you've got um the hierarchy that we operate in you know the warrant officer it could be 20 plus years yep. in, in the royal air force your flight sergeant, so you're seen on commissioned they're the people that you turn to yep, right okay. first absolutely and you'll probably get from them the sort of and, and that you know quite honest and open about it the sort of strengths and weaknesses yep. that of a certain team so you know sergeant x will maybe have four corporals yeah and actually a lot of it's just a face that the first two you talk about are brilliant they've been there for three years they know their job and in fact one of them may be ready for promotion themselves right yeah the other two could actually be it could be simple as they've only just arrived they've right, only just okay. got their rank yeah yep. and just so, so by naturally you can almost start to differentiate at that point yeah yeah so yeah cool great and um we sort of we'll, we'll shift a little bit. Your role now is a lot more about teaching, and it's a lot yes. more about guiding and instructing. Mm-hmm. Um, how have you transitioned from sort of your sort of more 
deployment-based activities and things like that to a essentially a teaching job um, to grow the next sort of group. yeah to grow the next generation. Yeah. Um, part of the deployment aspect is just a matter of time. So my last my last deployment was was Afghanistan. Obviously, the majority yeah. of UK forces are out of there now. Yeah. Um, in order the the, the 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 directing staff role at Shrivenham, it, it is on a volunteer basis, so you have to want to do it. Yeah. Um, but it, it is a real privilege. So you know, the the, the youngsters, as I call them, from you know str- almost straight out of Cranwell, a you know twenty twenty one, yeah. all the way through to experienced squadron leaders who will be pushing on for right, promotion okay. to yeah. the next step. It's um, it's we work to a generic performance statement and cover aspects such as change management leadership culture yep. Yep. ethics you name it the the issue comes is when it's trying to apply that to a group of students who aren't generic anymore right okay they may have been generic yep. once yeah but funny old thing after five or six years in the royal air force they're no longer generic yep. because they're doing specific things yeah and it's just really just trying to draw on your own experience and also i would say the experience of former pupils and again if there's someone in the room someone in that syndicate yep. who has r- real up-to-date stuff yep. on this particular aspect yeah then I'll just go and sit down yeah. and listen to them. So it's a case of just that sharing your vulnerability of saying, "Hey, I'm not an ex, you know, yeah. I, I'm not an expert in this no. area. I want to learn." So you, you've obviously got the mind of a learner as well as a leader, and, and being yeah, so, open-minded. So both teacher and almost adult learner. And yeah. I'll, I will use ex, you know experience from previous courses, but again, it's it, it's it's getting to know the students. So their biographies, where they've served. Yeah. I know I know what branch they're from. Um, and as, as I say, there are, and it's probably trying to, exp- and it works much better for me to, for for a for in a peer peer basis. If someone's having a problem because they don't quite understand it, but the guy next to them has done this, yep. has struggled with it because there isn't always an easy answer. Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, they end up teaching each yep. other. Yeah, you know, yeah. So. And facilitating that. Yeah. Um, you just touch on something you've got. You, you know, you're now guiding teaching people from sort of age twenty twenty one, but people who are very experienced. Mm-hmm. Um, and the div- diversity is obviously quite large. Are there any common binding traits or values or characteristics you see in all of your best recruits, whether they are 21 or whether they're 31, 41? Is there anything you look at, you go, he's got it, she's got it. What is it that actually makes a good learner, I suppose, and a good person? I I would say um, a desire to know more. So, So they can quite easily accept literally what's delivered to them in a lecture. And they can then discuss it. Yeah, um, it's those that um, don't just what it's called stick with the base material. They right, okay. go, well, you know, even the time we have them, some sort of deep learning, they actually start to not just to regurgitate facts yep. and figures, yep. but actually look beyond the message that they've been told. If you feed them, you know, web links or whatever, they'll take them from you. They'll yep. probably come back the next day and say, actually, I read into that. Yeah, I don't agree. Yeah. Oh, right. Hang on. Right. So yep. we have this sort of level of engagement that that, that can vary. But again, it's also the fact that you know it's just the way that they're the people that will step up. They're the ones that sort of show the moral courage. Right. You, yeah. you, you, they, they could sit there for a week or two weeks and say nothing. Yeah. And they could try to, but they. Yeah. But at the yeah. same time, you do have those individuals who, who take the time to do the research. Yeah. And take the time to, I say, look just beyond the basic yeah. text. Yeah. And those two words, moral courage. What does that mean to you? What is that? If you had to sell that notion to people listening now, if you, you, I'm looking for moral courage. It's a, it's a standout trait that I that I respect, admire, and I, I think I do too. What does that look like in a sort of day to day, practical, hands on way? 
it's basically, in my perspective, it's telling those around you and potentially for us, those of you, those that you work for, yep. that actually what in your belief is the right way to go about okay. business. Yeah. And it's difficult. It's incredibly difficult. Yep. So because certainly for us, I think there are risks associated with what we would call speaking truth unto power. Right, okay. You need to know your boss. Yep how your boss operates so again having spoken about learning as a leader to know your team yes um that whole leadership followership up the chain yes. so who, yep. who are you working for yep. and what motivates them as well um we talk about certainly since the uh, iraq war we have a thing in the british military called the chilcot report that was yep. released in 2016 and that's brought about this thing called appropriate challenge yeah so chilcot felt the british military were not challenging some of the decisions that were being made and we effectively now try to marble that across a right. lot of the teaching that we do. Yeah. Uh, and again, that can get quite uncomfortable. So students now will ask us, but why is that? Right, why, yeah. why we do, why, yeah. you know, because I don't understand because of this. Yeah. And it, it, it can be comfortable yeah. for me because yeah. Yeah. there's a two-way thing about appropriate challenges. A, the person making the challenge and B, the person who is challenged. Yeah. And you can't dismiss it because yeah. you think, that's a really good point. Yeah. Yeah. And I now need to go away and think yeah. about it. Yeah, of course, yeah. And is there a, I mean, I presume there's levels of appropriate chat. What is, what advice would you give to someone who, you know, they're sitting there, they've got an issue, they think, hey, this just isn't right. Presumably standing up on your chair and shouting it at someone's not the way to go. How would you help some of our students who are feeling similar ways mm -hmm. to what you've described, but to actually do it appropriately? It's interesting. So... I would say you have to yes standing up, standing in a chair and shouting is an approach, but not one I would recommend. Good, um, <laughs> thank you. Remember um, that, please. There is a. It's probably looking at your peers. What I would say to that person who thinks there is a problem with this, I would say you're not alone, and you'll probably find that if you just socialise that idea. Yeah. That strangely enough, there are other other people who may not want to vocalise at the yes. moment. Yeah. Also believe the same thing. Yeah. So at that point, then it's like, well, who could I approach? Is it what we would call it my one-up? Is it my immediate boss, right, okay. my immediate line manager, yeah. my immediate yeah. whatever it might be? It may it may not. Yeah. You actually may be able to go sideways and find a mentor or another individual who could have the same sort yeah. of, you know, who can probably speak to more openly, yeah. but at the same time they would probably have a, a reasonable view and a reasonable response on what you're actually concerned okay. about. Yeah, yeah. And probably... Those mentors have mm -hmm. probably been in a similar situation before, yeah, and I think that's really important yeah. to, to, to look at in a Absolutely. mentor, that, yeah. that kind of relationship. Yeah. 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 Um, we're coming close to the end. We've, we, we've just got a few more questions here, Phil. Um, talent. Can I just talk to you about talent for a second? How important is it, in your opinion? Um, do you need it? And is there anything more important than it, would you say, in all of the, I think, 1986 you were in the... 1986 yeah. I joined, yeah. So... Uh, sort of you've been in the been in the thick of it for a long long time you'll have seen a lot of talent you'll have seen a lot of other things mm -hmm. how important is that talent equation well i would say everyone's got everyone's got it um it's a point of at, at some point in your life you'll you'll arrive at a point in time when it actually manifests itself right okay clearly my talent wasn't necessarily for flying an airplane or certainly not safely um <laughs> the um but there is you know whether it, and it could just be working with people on a one-to-one -one basis it yeah. could be you know through leadership or it could be through anything that the talent's there yeah and the question is is knowing your self and knowing your surroundings yeah and 
basically putting yourself in a position where that that can mater- that can materialize and that yeah. can actually transform into something tangible yeah yeah definitely and is it enough talent can you get by on it for a you probably right i think there are i've met lots of people who think talent is all that's required but there is more to it than that and you know there are there are individuals who you know highly talented efficient people yep. Yep. who will get the job done from monday to friday yep. I, you can't fault the output but I wouldn't follow them out of interest, let alone out of loyalty. Right. Okay. That's so a, that's a good point to make. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So there is, you know, talent, character, that whole sort of persona thing as yeah. well. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. And if we were um, looking for some advice, and this, I suppose, this whole last thirty-five minutes has been so rich with advice. But if you could tell a f- sort of fourteen or fifteen-year-old boy some things that you wish you'd known um, when you were their age, based on the experience you've now got. Um, in a nutshell, could you sum up some of the things that you would Well, well I would them? say it's difficult. I mean, it's, well, it's difficult for me to remember when I was 15 years old. But, um, <laughs> it's, it, it's difficult, but one day your time will come. Uh, yeah. And it is out there. Right, okay. And you might want to sort of almost like reach for the stars now. Yep. But you don't have to. Right, okay. You, everyone's got as we meant, a talent yep. for something. Everyone's got a capability to do stuff. Yep. You just need to somehow work out what that is yourself. Yep. Don't just go with the pack. Yep. Don't just go with the flow. And uh, you know, um, have that level of moral courage and integrity that will, I think, help you rise above. Yep. Brilliant. And I hope anyone listening there, pause that, rewind it and play it again because I think that is really fantastic advice for teenagers where life is you know it is a it's a difficult time there's a lot going on and you're trying to find your feet but um it is important to have that patience open-mindedness to explore different things i think Mm -hmm. that's really good um and the last thing bill we finish on this question for a lot of for everyone we spoke to actually um and you can take this however you want what makes a good man or what is the mark and a measure of a man in your opinion I'd say it stems with integrity, uh, and I'd say integrity and honesty. Wrap those two together, yep. and you won't go far wrong, yep. to be honest, because yep. they are qualities that are, I think, they're so precious in an individual yep. that they should sit at the heart of whatever your talent is or whatever yep. your personality is. Yep. And if they sit at the centre of everything you do, I really don't think you'll go far wrong. Yep. Fantastic. What a way to finish, I think. Honesty, integrity, wrap them together and put it at the heart of everything that you do. We couldn't finish on a better note, Phil. Thank you once again for giving up your time. That's been a whistle-stop tour through a fantastic career and a, and a fantastic way that you followed your passion and overcome some initial adversity. We would really, just behalf of uh, everyone in Westlake Boys, really thank you for giving up your time. And your connection to the school isn't strong, but I think from listening to this... Um, a lot of people will feel that they've learned a lot from it. So thank you very okay, much. No. And we really, really do appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you very much.